This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. If you're like me, I long to see the day when revival fire restores the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And when the sons and daughters of God are released from their restraints with the healing power of God, what a great and glorious day that will be. You know, recently I was in Philadelphia and we were right in front of Independence Hall and next to the Liberty Bell. There was a gathering of leaders from across the nation as we worshiped together in a tent right in that field. And as I was looking at Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell and all that it depicts and represents from us in the very place that where the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution was argued and debated until it was finally came to consensus and formulated. In that very place, the differences of opinions and ideas and preferences, as they hashed through this and debating and arguing, they finally recognized there was an impasse. What they needed was a time of fasting and prayer to get the consensus and the spirit in the heart of God is this holy document they were trying to prepare for a nation was being formulated. It was in that place through fasting and prayer after all the impasse, they put aside their places of differences and became in consensus through prayer and fastedness and this great document called the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution was signed and formulated and signed. Philadelphia is also known as the city of brotherly love. And yet that's the redemptive purposes of God. And it was also the first founding city or or federal city long before Washington, D.C., because this is where they gathered and they thought out, prayed out, and came to consensus of these great documents. Does it mean that, that everything is perfect because of it? No, but it is a foundational basic principle that we can begin to build upon. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about even us as the church, right here in front of Independence Hall, next to the Liberty Bell, what does that mean to us? We live in a world that is divided. We live in a, in a nation that's, the, the soul of a nation is, being, is in struggles. We're living in a world where there's so many challenges. What we need is for the body of Christ, for the leaders of the church to gather together, put aside our differences in our debate, and come to that place in humility, in seeking the Lord, to become part of something bigger than ourselves if we're going to reach the soul of a generation. What we need is a heart awakening, don't we? And I sense that's where we are today. God wants us to be, like in 2 Chronicles 5, as I got this picture of 2 Chronicles 5, as the priest came out of the holy place. There's something about being in the holy presence of God that's an equalizer. Because we can come in differently, but when we come into His presence, We come out of his presence undivided. It says the priest came out of the holy place without division, not according to division. And they became of one sound, one voice of singing and worship to the point that it became this this glory cloud of God began to descend upon them because they were in unity of spirit. See, we'll always have different opinions and different ideas and different, uh, uh, different preferences. But when we're in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, we're equalized in his presence. You know, uh, as we're entering in the summer of 2019, I sense that we've also been in an extended season of preparation for what the Lord has been preparing many hearts for for quite a while. In fact, last year on April the 23rd of 2018, I had a dream multiple times throughout the night. 
And every time I went back to sleep, I had it again. It kept reoccurring. In that dream, God was preparing a new pathway, paving a new road, so to speak, because he was about to open the eyes of the blind, and many of them were people everyone thought would never respond to the gospel of good news, people who could not be reached, so to speak. And as we were walking down this paved road, I realized how we take for granted these things that God gives us, these new roads, these, this new pathway, and we began to immediately take it for granted. And from there, we moved into another room, and I noticed there was a handful of people praying. There was a group of us praying and, and, and crying out to God, and Though we did not realize fully the newness of the things and how we often take things for granted, as we gathered in this private room, quiet in a quiet place on our knees, and we took the posture of humility and repentance, then we began to begin to say over and over, pull down the strongholds, pull down the strongholds, pull down the strongholds. And we began to then stand up and pace throughout this room, and we began to say, pull down the strongholds. At the first signs of breakthrough through prayer, the chant changed then to it's time to raise a new standard. It's time to raise a new standard. Then I began to see, as we moved out of that room, I began to see pockets across the nation. And I began to see people coming into fields, into churches, into the public square. And many of them didn't even know why they were drawn to come hear a message. But they were being drawn to the gospel, this new standard that was being raised. Many of them even were coming scoffing and jeering and making fun, but yet they were drawn. In fact, in this dream, I looked over at my daughter, Ashley, who was 16 at the time, and she was standing next to me. She was preparing to help guide us in worship, and I encouraged her not to be distracted by the naysayers, or, but to keep her focus on worship and let God do what only He can do in those suddenly moments. He can penetrate the most difficult of circumstances when His presence is there, where His presence is Everything else is dispelled and we're equalized in his presence. And though I was speaking to my daughter in that dream, I I knew right then I was really speaking to a, a generation with a message of encouragement, not to be distracted by what was going on around them, not to be discouraged, not to be dismayed, but to keep their hearts focused, heaven bound, and keep hearts of worship going vertical before God and to watch what God was going to do over their generation and preparing us for revival and the coming of the Lord. I believe that that it was a window that God has given us to prepare through a summer season of focused prayer and worship for what He is about to do. And as I've shared the dream through social media over the last year and other avenues, it has resonated in the hearts of many other people as well. What is a standard? When we say it's time to raise a new standard, what is a standard? Historically, A standard serves at least three purposes. One is to identify a group or a tribal or national group. Secondly, is to claim possession of a space or territory. And thirdly, for festivity or celebration. Each of the 12 tribes of Israel had a standard or flag identifying its tribe in camp and in battle. In battle, a standard is used to identify regiments or platoons and to communicate a variety of messages, including nationality and instructions to advance or to retreat. A standard is also a banner, and God's banner over us is love. You see, remember what Jesus said that if he would be high and lifted up, he would draw all men unto himself? See, Jesus has already set a standard over us and is calling us to raise that same standard of life love and purpose and faith for others to follow when the world is getting darker and darker. I've said this oftentimes in previous podcasts and, and when I speak, 
I love to quote Matthew 5.16 when Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. It's a standard of hope. In the Battle of Iwo Jima, amidst the bullets and the carnage, five American Marines and one Navy Corpsman grabbed the American flag, raised it, and set it. And as they set it in the ground, it was to say symbolically in in an act of courage, We are not defeated. We shall be victorious. That moment was immortalized in a Pulitzer Prize winning photograph that speaks a thousand words, even today, as an act of courage and inspiration. In the same way, when we are not ashamed of the gospel and we are unwilling to compromise the word of God, we are tearing down strongholds and raising a new standard high for all others to see. And as we move forth in courage, others will be encouraged and inspired to persevere as well. There are roots of unrighteousness that have to be dealt with, though, in our lives as well as throughout our our generation. We can blame it on Hollywood, education, music, or guns, but the real root is moral decadence from a society that says we don't need God. The root of the issue needs to be uprooted, but the answer will not come from man politics, good ideas, or theories. We need, Jesus, we need to have Jesus back on the throne of our hearts so His reign can manifest in our environment through the hearts of God's people. As a nation or as a generation, we've lowered the standard in some ways, and it's time for us, for you and me, to raise that standard once again. Many voices of compromise are out there today, but the Bible is our standard for truth. And we must set his word as our own standard, raise it and follow after God with our whole hearts, minds, and soul. It's time to create a new narrative because those who tell the story define the narrative and create the history. We need to be telling the story of the Lord, the testimonies of God, the gospel of the good news. You've heard me say before that we need to be the good news. We need to bring the good news. We need to to proclaim the good news. We need to broadcast the good news because it brings salvation, healing, deliverance, liberation, and freedom. We also need to be about preparing an ark of refuge. As I prayed and processed that dream, the Holy Spirit kind of led me to some scriptures about the harvest. Matthew 9.38 says, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Luke 10, 12. Years ago, a good friend of mine, Pastor Steve Riggle, who pastors Grace Community Church in Houston, also is the president of Grace International Churches around the world, preached a powerful message on the God of the suddenlies and also the Baal Perizim, which means God of the breakthroughs. Personally, I believe we're on the verge of a breakthrough moment now more than ever before. Just as Noah, in simple obedience, he built an ark before there was ever any signs of rain. We need to build up our churches as arks of refuge. And like Nehemiah, we need a weapon in one hand to protect from the enemy's attacks while we also get things in order so transformation can take place. God is calling his church to be an ark of refuge to receive all the people that he's going to touch in all that he's about to do. What we need is a deeper level of consecration with higher expectation. But the things that I've learned over these 38 years of the ministry and challenges and storms, I've learned two things at least that have sustained me. One, that we must keep our vision of hope and destination. 
all of us go through difficulties and have storms to overcome, it can be distracting and disheartening if we don't have the right perspective. I like what King Solomon said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But he also goes on to say, a merry heart is good medicine. In Daniel 11.32, it tells us that the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The original word for know here in Daniel 11.32 is yada. And the corresponding New Testament Greek word and, and that Paul speaks of in Philippians 3 is, is konosko. Yada in the Old Testament, konosko in the New, both means to know God, not to know about Him, not to have just a knowledge about Him, but to have a relationship with Him. And that's what God is looking for, a people who would have interactive relationship with God, to not just know about Him, not just read about Him, not just sing about Him, but to know God. And it means knowing Him in a very personal way. When we know Jesus in this way, we can call upon His name because we have a relationship with Him. His name brings the power of heaven to earth because He is the preeminent one. All things are created to, through, for, and by Him. He is the creator of all things, and He desires to give that same authority to and through His church. In fact, it says in Ephesians 3.10, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known, or might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. You see, we carry the family name. So we also carry his authority. And secondly, one thing I've learned to help sustain me through the challenging times, we must keep our expectation level high, not on self, but on the Lord. Deeper in consecration, higher in expectation. One of my daily personal prayers is this, help me, Lord, to go deeper in consecration, higher in expectation in you to trust you and not myself. You see, when we keep our vision of hope, God gives us promises and destinations to accomplish and, and to possess. And then he gives us expectation beyond our human comprehension or ability or, or, or capacity. <clears throat> see, we have a peace that surpasses understanding, peace that prevails in our hearts. And in the place of expectation, our vision of hope remains alive. You see, when when we have great expectations beyond our own circumstances, he gives us his perspective above the storms. He gives us his perspective beyond the challenges. He gives us his perspectives regardless of how big the giants in the land may look or what the circumstances look like. He gives us his perspective that he's bigger than the storm. He's bigger than the circumstance. He's bigger than the giants. When we rest on his shoulders, we can see from a higher vantage point because now we see from his perspective and not our own. See, David prayed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. See, Jesus is the rock of our salvation, the rock that's unshakable, the rock of ages. I like this quote by Albert Einstein, and I probably quoted this many times before, but I want to say it again for the sake that is, even as Peter says, I say this because it's expedient for us. Weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. The character of any kingdom emanates from the character of the king. When we keep his perspective, his attitude, stay in the word and maintain fellowship with him, circumstances won't dictate our response, but our response comes from our relationship with the king and his kingdom. Nothing is impossible when we are in God's manifest presence. He brings undoneness in us, but at the same time, we experience his amazing, abounding, and great grace. 
He picks us up. He dusts us off. He commissions us with his authority so we can see our generation, our communities, our cities, our nations impacted with the good news. But we also need to learn how, like Nehemiah, to stay on the wall. How many of us are have been brokenhearted when we watch the news and see the state of so many lives in, in our entire generation and, and looking around the world and people looking for answers. The world is distracting them from getting the real answers they need. What they need is Jesus, not worldly intellect or, or the solutions imposed upon us through secular ideologies, philosophies, institutional systems, and even politics. We need the Lord to manifest himself upon our cities, our nation, our generation, and to see his presence permeate and change lives individually and corporately. We need that kind of move of God. There is a battle for the soul of a generation and for the heart and soul of the church today. How can we heal souls if the heart, the church, is sick? We need a spiritual defibrillation. We need an awakening from God. We need to be stirred by the presence of God and, re and to receive the Spirit of God to move in and through us in a world that desperately needs the truth and to see the love of God in that truth. Nehemiah 1.3 says, And they said to me, speaking to Nehemiah, The survivors are left from the captivity in the province and are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah was deeply burdened here because his people were in reproach and distress. The walls of his city were broken down. This should be a place of protection and gathering for them, a place to grow in God and to be protected by God and restore the altar of worship. Instead, they were unprotected and facing danger around them. Nehemiah 1.4 goes on to say, So it was, when I heard these words, Nehemiah speaking again, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, Nehemiah wasn't praying for a, a long list of things. He was brokenhearted. He wept and he cried. He was praying to God to do something because he saw the state of his people and the city. Nehemiah prayed in the month of December, but there was no answer. He prayed in January, then again and throughout February and March, still no answer. Then finally, after a few months of praying, the Lord moves the heart of the king to allow Nehemiah to go. It can be discouraging and disheartening when it feels like God isn't hearing us or doesn't hear us. But God is not a man. He does not lie. He keeps his promises. He answered Nehemiah's prayer by sending him to his city, not only with the king's blessings, but with all the provisions and the escorts of the king as well, more than he had even asked for. Now it happened, though, that Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that he had built the wall and, they, and there was no breaks left in it, though at the time he had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent to Nehemiah saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages and the plains of, of Ono. Then he says, but they thought to do me harm. In other words, he discerned in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, that they had, they had thought to do him harm or they were do, planning to do him harm. So Nehemiah says, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I love it when I heard a friend of mine preach it one time. Uh, who leads a worship band, and he says, in other words, and God, God was saying in my personal vernacular, I'm doing a good work for God, and I ain't coming down. And that's so true. That is God's word for you and for me today. The enemy wants to distract us 
with difficulties and challenges. The enemy wants to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. In fact, if, if every person's story is different, ultimately the ending can be the same. Because if we continue to do the work of the Lord on behalf of others as well and keeping our perspective, keeping our focus, keeping a merry heart and keeping our eyes on the destination and fixing our eyes on the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, then if we do that, then others can see Christ in us and follow us as well and think of all that God can do in and through us. Like I said, every person's story is different, but the ending can be the same for those who come to know the Lord. See, we serve a great king. We serve the creator of the heavens who chooses to live in you and live in me. And he is greater than our circumstances. When I was personally battling cancer a few years ago, I knew my healing was not going to come in leaving my calling. But instead, I learned that my healing was in my calling. If you stop doing what God has called you to do, the devil wins. Don't respond to the circumstances, but to what is true in God's word. Stay on the wall like Nehemiah. Don't quit. In 1989, I took a team on a missions trip to Belize. And while my team went out to do some street evangelism, I stayed behind to dig a large latrine or, or an outhouse hall to improve the community's health and, and sanitation for some refugees that were coming in from Nicaragua. I grew frustrated as I was trying to dig the, through this big hole and there was all kinds of big rocks and, and there were stones and there was, there was all kinds of boulders. And my hands were getting blistered and bloodied. And, and yet I didn't have the proper tools to be able to dig this 12 to 15 foot hole that was going to be later become an outhouse hole, a place that was going to be filled with outhouse trash and waste. I began to have a bad attitude as I thought, I'm digging this 12 to 15 foot hole and in, in months from now, it's going to be filled with a bunch of outhouse waste and a bunch of other rubbish. I'm wasting my time. But the Lord had to remind me in my murmuring, he, and the Lord said through, as I was murmuring and complained to myself, God used this very scripture in Ezekiel to remind me of, of how many times he had to clear out the stones and the rubbish and the outhouse waste in my own heart, only for me to fill it back up with a bunch of rubbish and waste. In Ezekiel, he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So many times I, God does it, such a cleansing work in my life and I allow the things of this world to begin to fill it back up and God has to keep taking these stones and the trash out of my heart. So as we prepare for this great harvest, we must be committed and persistent to overcome every obstacle and distraction the devil sends our way. God wants us to keep our vision of hope and destination because our expectation is in him and a perspective from his vantage point. See, we need a clean heart, a right spirit and a sharp, stable, sound mind so we can be ready when God says to move. See, God is a God of suddenlies. And God is about to do a suddenly moment, I believe, a breakthrough moment. We need to be prepared to receive the harvest. As God opens the eyes of the blind, they'll have questions. And we need to answer with the truth of God's word, seasoned with God's grace. This is not about being a militant or having a militant strategy. It's not a battle with flesh and blood. Just as atmospheric pressure, which we don't necessarily see or immediately see, yet it causes storms and destructions that we can see, the same is true with the spiritual atmosphere. There is no doubt there is an increase with spiritual atmospheric pressure taking place all around us. Yet through our knee time and knee posture and vertical worship, we can bring about a change in the spiritual atmosphere 
and then we can see visibly in the natural all that God is about to do. When there is a breakthrough in the spiritual realm, the church needs to respond as an ark of refuge, a place where people know they can go to grow in their faith and relationship with the Lord. And like Noah, we need to prepare in advance because when God moves, it's too late to start building then. We need to be preparing and building now in every way, spiritually, physically, practically, emotionally, mentally, in every way. The God of the breakthrough is about to do us suddenly. and We're about to see a pouring out of His presence. I believe that. What would happen if thousands more people suddenly started responding to the good news and going to church? What if people at work and on the streets suddenly started asking you about Jesus? I'm expecting God to do that if His people, us, come by the thousands to the place of pulling down strongholds in prayer, in humility and worship, with the expectation that God, who has all authority, can penetrate the most difficult of circumstances. As we pray and as we prepare, I believe people will come out of the woodwork and they'll be curious and not even know why. They will see God's love through His people pulling down the strongholds, raising a new standard, telling a new story that creates a new narrative. That's the expectation in my heart. My vision of hope and your vision of hope is that people will gather and prepare and that people's lives will be transformed and changed. The risen King lives in you and lives in me. God is bigger than all our circumstances. Storms will come, but circumstances do not dictate who we are or who God is in us and through us. We are living in a critical moment, and we have a window to get people's hearts ready. Jeremiah 8.20 says this, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and the people cry, We are not saved. My friends, let's not miss this opportunity. Will you join me this summer to pray for the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers, and to prepare us for the coming harvest and for us to be those who set a new standard, pull down the stronghold, set a new standard, and those who are prepared to be an ark of refuge for all those that God begins to open hearts and minds and eyes. I believe this is our moment, but it means we need to posture ourselves, position ourselves in humility before God for God to do a work in us that He can do a work through us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.